It's 12 o'clock in Frisco, Texas, and it's time for Smoker Broker Radio with Robert Mesh, a.k.a. The Smoker Broker. Robert is the owner of Small World Realty and has employed hundreds of real estate agents in his 17-year career. He has instructed and mentored over 10,000 real estate agents at the highly acclaimed Champions School of Real Estate and is considered an expert in Texas residential realty. Robert is also an advocate of true entrepreneurial spirit and has helped many to transition from corporate America into the world of self-employment. And now live from the studio to your world, The Smoker Broker. Hey, welcome to Smoker Broker. I'm Robert Mesh, and I'm the guy they call Smoker Broker. And I love this time of year as we're starting to get into March and April and June, July, and August. Because you know why? That is smoking season. That is when we start getting the smokers back out. Uh, even though it's still cold outside, we are getting to where uh, it's that time of year. And I'm super excited this year because uh, I think for the first time in a long time, we are going to ramp up. And we are going to do some competitions right off the bat. I think we have two or three that are scheduled in April uh, and definitely our big one in May. And I'm going to be sending those out. Everybody knows I always push our stuff out. You're welcome to go if you want. But uh, I am super excited for this year because it's the first time in a long time that we're jumping on it and getting in some really cool events. I know we have a... uh, one in uh, at, in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas uh, for uh, the Touchdown Club. I know we have one in mid-April for that. That one's going to be fun. And I think there's going to be one even a week or two before that at the uh, the Fort Worth uh, Pavilion, the Panther Pavilion over there for the Stockyards, uh, or it's a Stockyard event that's going to be held over there. So I know that we're probably going to be doing those, and uh, it's just it's kind of fun to be getting back into that because uh, we just haven't been able to have that many events scheduled that early in a while. Coming off um, our recent, uh, Keller Williams has their big family reunion. It's their big annual conference that they, you know, they go through and they do their rah, rah, rahs. But the more important piece of it is uh, Gary Keller, the CEO of Keller Williams, usually gives a pretty good forecast as to um what he thinks is to come and the fact that he pays a lot of people money to do the research and uh, the development and the numbers uh, usually he's pretty damn close uh, to what he sees. He had an interesting vision this past week on uh, a much longer conversation on economic concerns, uh, especially as it relates to inflation. Uh, there is no doubt uh, those guys at that level have their eyes sincerely focused in on how does inflation affect uh, the ability for someone to purchase, the ability for someone to lend money, the interest rates going higher, uh, the cost of goods. They are watching all those things very intently because they know that inflation is imminent uh, and that we are looking at the highest inflation that we probably have had since 1978 uh, coming forward in the next year or two. And you can look at it from a standpoint that it concerns you, uh, that it could affect the way people buy houses. The housing market probably won't be hurt as much via inflation uh, as 
obviously people uh, that struggle from an income level. Uh, in fact, that that was one of the more, more God, I don't know, just awful comments that we heard this past week or the more realistic. But y'all, when there's inflation, inflation is detrimental to the poor. Inflation is very detrimental to the poor because what inflation does is basically makes things so expensive that people who are wealthier can afford it, even though they don't like it. But the person who's at a poverty level, they can't do anything about it. And, and we're, we're heading in that direction. And that's a concern, especially when you start looking at the first time home buyers, will they have the purchasing power they need? Kind of ironic and almost hypocritical that we're in a market right now where the American dream has been threatened for the past two years because people who have decent income, decent credit, they still cannot afford to buy a house because someone who's wealthier is paying more, are willing to pay more for it and driving those prices up. So we're going from a market where the American dream is threatened right now into another market where it still might be threatened because of the opposite forces causing the same issues. And that can be a dismal outlook at, at times. It doesn't stop the housing market. Uh, selfishly, we continue to do okay with it because houses are always still purchased and bought. Still hard to swallow though, when you're the one that's on the end of kind of contributing to that terrible factor. And we're all looking at it. We're all staring at it. We're all watching it in a sick way. The inflation and a rise in the interest rates actually might help us a little bit. Uh, this market needs to cool off. It needs to be restored to somewhat of a normal level. And the antidote to that might just be a period where interest rates go up. Interest rates have gone up for the first time in a long time. We are uh, looking at interest rates cruising above 5% this year for the first time in two or three years. And it is very possible by the end of the year, we are back to a 6% interest rate. Now, y'all, those of you who have followed me for a long time, and anybody who's gone through any of my teachings or, or presentations or whatever, this should be a common knowledge to you. Uh, but for those of you who haven't, it's super important. <sighs> Sometimes the interest rate going up is not a bad thing. There's a terrible miscommunication or misunderstanding in the world today about what is acceptable interest rates. Now, anybody who's purchased over the last five to 10 years, they've been programmed that acceptable and good interest rates are those below 5%. Y'all historically, if you ask the general public, since we've been lending money way back when, over the years, if you ask them what would be an acceptable or a good rate, believe it or not, most of them would tell you anywhere between 10 and 12% was good. Now, you tell somebody that right now, especially some punk kid that just got a job and bought a house, they'll have a cardiac arrest and drop, and they won't even believe you. Because they'll be like, that's just not possible. But if you're like me and Gary and even Mike, Mike's my age too, that me and Mike went through the age of 
our first houses were at eight percent and we were thrilled with it gary's lived through where he purchased houses in in the late 70s where he probably was doing a little a little skip to the bank if it was under 20 percent that's reality which at today's prices is would be absurd it, it can't even can't even can't fathom it can't even fathom yeah, that's right you can't even fathom it so when we talk about this and this is where i'm going with it y'all even if rates got to eight percent where some people be like oh my god it's not a bad thing in fact most people and most economists would tell you an eight percent interest rate is very good for the economy the eight percent rate is still a good rate to borrow money at and it fuels the economy here's something else that you need to know about general finance when it comes to interest rates a lot of people point to the lending requirements today and they say one of the reasons why first-time home buyers struggle purchasing homes because they can't get a loan because the requirements are too tight. That is not why they cannot get the loan. You want to know why they can't get the loan? And it's pure common sense if you think about this. Banks are used to making anywhere from 8 to 10% on money they loan out. What bank in the face of this earth wants to risk giving you three or $400,000 where you could bail on them and they're getting 2% on the loan. You want banks to loan more money? Push the interest rate up and make it worth their while. Watch how easy the requirements kind of slip away when it comes to, it's kind of, kind of ironic that more money is lent when the rates are up and the requirements are eased versus the opposite, that they're, they're more strict when the rates are low. It's an opinion. It's not fact. Sure is kind of funny to me how that works out. It's almost as if the forces to be no damn good and well. That if it's low, make them strict so we don't have to get this money out when they're high. Let's let open the doors and let the money flow. The risk bank reward. Can be the greatest receiver less. What might risk reward? Risk reward. That's right. <laughs> risk reward. Well, as well, we're going to continue our conversation today about. Uh, inspections. I told y'all last show, there's no way we can anywhere get near it. We're still not even be finished today with it, but uh, it's a great con uh, conversation. One of our best podcasting episodes because it's the most educational. As always, I bring my guys on there with me. They're longtime friends, experts in the industry. Mike Dellis down there, longtime friend with us last week, giving us his knowledge. We got a big upgrade over here on the side from Brent because we got a guy who actually knows something about uh, <laughs> and uh, construction. Uh, so big upgrade there from a learning standpoint, even though Brent knows I'm joking. Uh, I am being serious to some extent that all of us uh, are probably in lieu of Gary when it comes to inspection knowledge. So you guys are in for a treat to have him here because uh, his knowledge is second to none on what we should do in inspection, what we should ask for, and what we shouldn't. So, uh, you know. So was last week's episode really 150? Was 150? What was that? Was that the show? Was that our 150th show? It just said this one yeah. was 151st. Yeah. Yeah, we've done a lot of shows. I mean, it's incredible. And, and I'm glad you said it, Mike. We don't talk much about it, but we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, the, the, 
It only took us 150 shows to get it right. (laughs) I'm not sure we still have it right. We're a lot better. We're way better. Break out the 151 run. Let's celebrate the right way. (laughs) Well, here's the amazing thing. Yeah, 150. We we did have to make some adjustments uh, over the last year because of COVID because we can't always just we do the show a lot. We don't cut our show. We don't edit it. And I, that's at my discretion. I, I'd rather the show not be pretty and be just flat out. Here it is. Cause I think it's better that way, but we had to slow up just a little bit cause we couldn't do it every week. Like we had been, but even then we still pumped out a ton of episodes. There's only, uh, you know, we got to where we started doing every other week uh, for the last six months or so, but uh, the count's high, 150 episodes, and we rarely repeat an episode unless it's been a year or so. I almost always go back and look at how long has it been uh, since we've done one. So the content just is never ending on the show. It's funny, the producer and the owner of the, of the station, just a great guy, has become a longtime friend of ours. You know, when we first started this, you know, he'll tell you when it comes to podcasts, live broadcast, live radio, which we've done all of that. Uh, when he talks to you in the beginning, the, the biggest danger of running one of these shows is having the content. You know, you have to have content. Everybody thinks they can do a podcast. Everybody thinks that it's a great idea. Well, most people can do maybe three or four podcasts and then that's it. They're done. There's nothing else there. There's no more data. There's Ours is never ending. I think Mark... Uh, used to joke about the fact uh, when I told him, I go, well, we can do this forever. He hears so many people say that. Well, I don't think even until now he realized, well, he's probably right. He probably could talk for 24 seven if we let him when it comes to real estate. So we've always been very fortunate on the podcast that we are on from a content standpoint, it is never freaking ending. And I love that because the whole purpose of the show is to be informative and teach the agents that and the general public this is not stuff you get in the book. So, Gary, we, uh, and, and by the way, on that same note, and I, and I don't plug it enough for Mark because he doesn't ask me to, which is awesome because that's the way he is. It's really a good idea to have some type of podcast. It's not that difficult to do. It's not near as expensive as you think it is to do. Uh, you know, the one, the station that we utilize out of the KBGI media, it's a good one. It's been very easy us for doing it. It's a reason why we've done 151 uh, episodes. And if it's something you ever want to ask us about, let me know. Uh, I don't do near a good enough job of pushing uh, the station and Mark as much as I should, because it's easy for us to show you how to do it, especially from a real estate standpoint. And it's something that should be done more often. It's something we enjoy to do, too. All right, we cut off last week at, um, Gary, we got to where we started, telling where we got, how we got to the inspection process, the initial pieces of it, uh, how they set it up, uh, how we refer, you know, referring in threes. And then we kind of ended where we were talking about the buyer expectation, setting to them that um, we're going to ask for things that have to be that we use day to day, but we're not going to be asking for a lot of the petty things. And we, and we were in the middle of the conversation of something that you really expertise in where there's so many code changes and 
there's so many things that are written on the reports today where it scares people, but in all reality, it's been like that for years. You know, Gary is a, a, a massive general contractor, a residential a con, con, commercial for years. So he knows everything about codes. And I'm interested kind of to continue that conversation and get into our next uh, areas. Cause now we're gonna actually talk about what do we do when we identify these things on this show. But Gary, those code changes, I mean, they're necessary but does it mean that the house is really going to burn down if it still has the Fed Pacific panel on it and all that other stuff? I mean, is it real danger? Are we looking at live danger because of it? Absolutely not. Um, so what happens is this is, um, in fact, you've got kind of a, a, a conflict of what I believe in beliefs because you could be, and Michael can confirm this because, I mean, he's been through this as well. You could be building a house in one part of Dallas, Fort Worth, or a suburb, so forth and so on, that absolutely requires that you have this particular type of code because they're expect, inspecting to the 2014 or 2016 or, but the, you know, I'll, I'll go in whenever I get permits. And I said, okay, so what code are you inspecting to? That's the first thing out of my mouth, not what does it cost or so what code are you guys ex inspecting to right now? Because Oddly enough, some cities haven't caught up to the, you know, IRC, which is, you know, the residential codes and don't require certain things. So just because it doesn't meet certain code compliance requirements nationwide doesn't mean that it's a highly risky property. Boom. So look, and that's a great comment that none of us would have been able to come up with because of your expertise, but it flows into the same conversation that we are having. He just gave you another reason why when you're talking to a buyer about these codes, you know, our explanation is, hey, look, they change all the time. You know, those houses were built that way. That's the way they were built. There's nothing wrong with them. Well, Gary's even telling you another hypocrisy to it. The other hypocrisy is it depends where you're at. It might not be the same thing over there. So why is it here that it's important, but not over there? It's just another hypocritical thing where you're like, does it really have an issue? Does it need to be fixed? Or is it somebody's opinion? Is there a conflicting opinion as to should something be done there? I love that, Gary. That I That's exactly what I said. There's going to be stuff that we can't, you know, discuss because we don't know that. And, and, but and there's some the radical, radical differences, too, in that um, when I was in the real estate business in the last century before dirt, you know, there was a city called Plano, Texas, that was, you know, way up there north of Dallas. Why would anyone ever want to move all the way up there? Tiny little city. Plano, yeah, uh-huh. Plano City. The only thing that made it world famous is they talked about it every week in the, in the latest episode of Dallas. You know, they were always, you know, just outside of Plano. That's right. Well, Plano had a weird code. And there are a lot of buyers that I represented as well as sellers. And they required that the dishwasher for a certain period of time, have a separate off and on service switch on the somewhere in the kitchen. So invariably, unless you were aware of that and it reflected on the inspection back in the 70s and early 80s, you would always get a call. We just moved into the house. We've got everything unpacked and we're trying to wash the dishes and the dishwasher won't come on. 
Well, I said, okay, fine. So, you know, the switch that's on the left side of your sink over there on the wall. Yes. Uh -huh, that's, that's the garbage disposal. And I said, correct. There should be another one on the right side of the wall. Yeah. We didn't know what that was going to, because we flipped it several times and the lights never came on or went off or this. We call that the mystery switch. It's also the switch to your dishwasher's power source. And they go, what? Yes, honest to God. In the 70s and all the way up until almost 1990, Plano required that, or you couldn't get a final CO inspection done. And, you know, and, and it, flows to what yeah, it flows to what we're talking about because it's just some of these things are not necessary, but it affects the, the request that we have because the buyer gets scared about it. So they say, well, that's probably something that needs to be fixed. I'm like, well, not really. I go, it's in a pre existing home. These things are expected, but it shows the silliness of some of them. You know, Gary, we were talking, and I know you would have enjoyed it. We were talking about the water heater and, oh. you know, having it a foot above the ground and whether it's in the garage or not. And I told everybody in the last episode, I go, who gives a shit when the thing busted, but the whole drum is everywhere. You know? <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, especially the guys that are out there uh, watching, uh, are watching us on archive or repeat. One of the things I find the most interesting that any builder did, and Gary did it too, because he had to at some point. Whoever thought it was ever a smart idea to put those damn water heaters up in the attic? On, no. It's just the you know you you wanted to be there one day and go, who thought of that? Why why there? <laughs> Ask those homeowners that experienced the great waterfall dilemma of last year. Okay. <laughs> So we know several, don't we? You know, that Robert and Michael both. I mean, I mean, I had a, a myriad of phone calls. I got water pouring out of my ceiling. I don't know where it's coming from. I said, well, it's because your hot water heater or your water heater's upstairs. Or worst case scenario, they had two in different locations. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Those are even better. Two different uh, ones. I've got two right now, but neither of them are in my attic. But one's... 12, 18 inches high, one's on the ground, and they're both in separate areas of the house completely. Yeah. It's amazing the the codes, how they've changed the requirements. So last episode, we were talking about examples uh, that you run across, and we were giving you a lot of takeaways. So I'm going to continue that. Um, uh, one of the ones we didn't talk about last week that comes up occasionally uh, and this is one that Gary knows very well, and Mike and me do too for that matter, because the code was created when we actually started real estate, and Gary used to experience it both sides of it, is the uh, the dryer vent uh, exiting the house and not into the attic. You know, for years, uh, the design was that the lint from the, from the dryer goes up into the attic, and the theory there was in you know, there's already insulation. It's the same damn thing. It's just cotton being thrown on top of cotton anyway. So who cared? But one day, and God knows how it happened, uh, a house burned down because one of those things was too heated or something got pushed up in there. And and literally, it, it, these aren't thousands of houses that this happened to. There, there are a few that they're like, hey, look, that's possible. And if it's possible, you know, we need to change it. So then they decided in their ultimate wisdom, that now you got to cut a hole through the ceiling, put the vent all the way out, and now it it pushes out there. Well, and Gary, when, what was that? Ninety in the nineties, sometimes they changed that. Mid nineties, right. mid nineties, where they started requiring that it had to be vented to an exterior 
through the wall or to a vent or outside of the living space could not be vented up in the attic. Same thing with um, exhaust fans in the bathrooms. And they not only create a fire hazard or a possible hazard up there, but you got to think about what are you exhausting? A yeah. lot of moisture. That's and right. Where is it going? So... In the mid-90s, they changed the code to where it had to be vented directly to the outside by the shortest, most direct route. And if you lived in a two-story house like you guys both have, it had to go through a brick wall as the shortest route. And so you go walking around the house and there's this ugly <laughs> vent hanging up there, you know, 12 feet in the air. And I said, what the heck is that? I said, that's either the exhaust vent for the dryer, which is on the second floor laundry room or for a bathroom exhaust or something of that nature and that's and the problem have now to, have now to be cleared out yeah now you get to where you see if it is an older house that shows up on the report well you know there are some agents that well, this is where we get into our battle is it a day-to-day -day thing is that something that we use day-to-day -day? no uh, is it a concern well it can be and for most houses it's not and it becomes a, a, a battleground issue as to should the buyer ask for that to be replaced or not. Now, those are one of those that I'm in the field of, hey, look, it's been like that for the longest time. Nothing's happened to the house. It's pre-existing. If you want to fix it, fine. We're not going to fix it. We've had it that way for years. But you get that pushback at times. Maybe it should be done. Now, here's something we didn't talk about last episode. And it's super important. We should have talked about it. So we're going to make up for it now. Keep in mind, what we're talking about right now, this is historically what we're looking for or what we should or what should not do in an inspection um, process. This is all out the window right now. I can, And the reason why I said it on this one, there's no one in their right mind as a buyer that's going to ask for that vent to be pushed through the roof right now because they know damn good and well they're going to be lucky if they get anything hell they'll be lucky if they get the air condition fixed in this market so it matters the type of market that you're in when you're looking at the crest everything i teach i've, and I've always been like this uh, whether it's at champion school of real estate whether it's here whether it's in presentations i always teach historically what's correct because real estate's cyclical. It goes up and it goes down, but it always comes back to a median. We are not in the median right now. It's very difficult to come to this market and learn to negotiate correctly because you're probably not learning the right way. But in this particular one, this is something historically that it might be asked, might not. I'm of the field that you shouldn't ask for because it it's not really going to burn the house down tomorrow. But there are some people that it's a safety hazard. It should be fixed. We should be doing that. That's the whole point of this conversation is should we ask for it or should we not ask for it? There is no right or wrong answer. We're looking for an etiquette that takes us down a path of are we being reasonable? Are we asking for something that truly should be fixed? Uh, these come up, you know, uh, we talked about the GFCIs the last time and that it's, it's code now. It wasn't code in 1980. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think one thing we didn't discuss more in the last episode about the GFCIs, we talked about the, it, it's, it's a code change and it, it's, it can be done by the buyer if they want. But what we didn't mention is it's not expensive. Gary, what are those GFCIs? <laughs> Aren't they like 25 bucks for the plug itself? The, the, the hardware plug? Excuse me. Well, um, 
GFCI changeouts, depending on who you call, because, you know, uh, the most regrettable two calls I have to make in my, you know, world now is I'm, if I need to call an electrician, boom, or a plumber, boom. <laughs> if they're both going to be really, really expensive right That's now right. because of, you know, so forth and so on. I never recommend that a homeowner do their own because you need a qualified electrician to make sure it's done yeah. properly. But they'll come out there, count the number of GFCIs that you actually truly really need, which is within six feet of a water source. And it's going to cost you anywhere from 20 to $25 per plug to have them swapped out. And that's done by a licensed electrician the correct way with the correct, shall we say, voltage. Because some people come in there and they think, oh, they're on sale at Home Depot. I'm going to buy a box of these. Uh, get your brother-in-law who's seen every episode of this whole house, put them in. <laughs> Hell no. You know, that's that's the world's worst thing to do. But yeah, I always, I, anybody who asks now for any sort of repairs to be done, unless they're of a major critical factor, is probably not going to get an accepted contract. So Gary brings up another point we haven't discussed yet. And like I said the last time, we don't script this because it can go a thousand different ways and we could talk about it forever. So he just went down a route that I, I think we, we need to discuss. It doesn't, it, when it's the guts of the house and it's something that you, you could have watched on TV, it's never a good idea to be messing around with the guts, which is the electricity, the plumbing, the foundation, the roofing. When it comes to that stuff, you, you really should stay clear of it. Let somebody else do it because it's probably going to cause you issues. But the second part of that becomes how much money are we willing to put into? Is this really going to be a concern for us? Do we agree to give this amount of money for these repairs because they have to be done? Or is it a request just because it'll make them feel better if they're done? We have to balance what we tell them to do. We have to balance where we suggest they go with this. And it's not the easiest of jobs, especially in the market that we're in now because we're trying to balance there's competing offers out there how we've seen people waive the inspections we have people now that just wave it and they're just like rolling the dice saying hey if it's broke i'm fixing it which is kind of ironic because it almost makes me start wondering i've always said I, I question whether we even should do the inspection period versus hey look you're going to be yours to fix it one way or the other. I only thought the law should be if you knew something was wrong, you should have to tell them. But if there's something's going to be wrong with it, you're buying the house, you're buying it, you know? Now, here's a question, though. Are they really waiving the inspection or are they waiving their option period? Because if you're waiving the option period, then you can't negotiate whether or not. But you can still get it inspected so that you, you, you know yourself. Um, Mike, I'm proud of you. you come a long way and you pick up on the technical side too. He's right. It's not a matter of, did we waive our inspection? It's a matter of, did we waive the right to ask for anything? And so now we'll go, we'll do some really advanced contract law with you. And it's not my favorite conversation because it can be downright deceitful, but we teach you the way to protect your client. And we also teach you the, teach you the ethical side. I can't teach you which one is okay. And he's hinting at it right now. He's hinting at it. Do we tell them to, Mike, what was the example, the exact example you used? What were you saying just a second ago? 
Um, we, we're waiving the actual inspection. Yeah. So, so he's talking about someone weighed the option saying we're not going to have an option, but they still decided to do an inspection. Right, we see this a lot. Well, then they do the inspection and they do find out that there is a bad problem. Let's say there's a foundation issue and we find out that there's $15,000 of damage or, that, or repairs. Under the option period, we can back out. Well, we waived our option. So a lot of people are under the assumption, well, you waived your option, you really can't do anything. If that happens, it's your responsibility. They're going to find a way to back out. Yeah. They're going to find a way. And this is the part that I don't like at all. Because legally, they can do it. But ethically, and this is, I mean, if there was a tombstone for me in real estate, this would be my ultimate dilemma. If I have my own client, and I know I can get them out, but I know it's wrong. That's a tough one for me. God, anybody knows me, my I, my ethics, I don't screw around with them. It's all I got. I don't got great looks. I don't got great weight. I All I have is my ethics. It's the one thing that I can say every day I do right. Now, it's the only thing, and I've, and I've rarely faltered under it. But that's the hardest one for me is when I know that that client's backing out for another reason and they're using something else to get out of it. It makes me ill and sick to my stomach. And I, I've even gone to the farthest limits with those clients that do that. I'm like, I'll do what you tell me to do. But I'm just telling you, that's just to me, that's not in the spirit of the way you did this. You're and backing besides, out for another reason. Go ahead, Gary. Besides that, uh, Michael also opened up a, he opened up a pretty big rabbit hole when he said that because I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're famous for it. I understand. So you know, <laughs> but it's the right thing to do. It's bringing questions into play that either the buyer or the seller, depending on who they've worked with or when the last time they bought or sold a home, don't even know what to ask. That's what you're there for to bring up points about, okay, this versus that. Now, if you do have a client who wants to waive their inspections, that's fine, but you better check with your sponsoring broker to see if that broker requires that we here in Texas are mandated by law to get them to sign an acknowledgement that we inform them. And that's what I want to make sure you said. That, that document for any brokerage outside, we know our guys do it, but anybody who's watching outside of that, that form, that it's it's the buyer condition acceptance of property it's typically signed on a walkthrough where we're telling them hey are you good here and it also on that same document it says if they didn't get an inspection we flat out told them to get one that's probably the only thing religious that we do is that when they say they don't want them like that's a dumb idea i go i'm telling you right now on record i told you to go get one if you don't want to listen to me fine but it's in writing and i'm basically telling you if anything happens <laughs> I'm going to point right to the fact that we told them to go get that inspection done. I had an agent bring me a, several offers on a, on a new listing that was on the market for like maybe 12 hours. And two of them, like Mike brought up, waived their inspections and request no repairs. And so I shot back to her. I said, you need to call that agent that submitted that and said we're going to need a copy of the inspection and 
a waiver document signed by their client before we'll submit this offer. Now that that may be stepping out of bounds, but what's my job to cover my seller? Right. And if they didn't fully disclose something that's discovered by the buyer later on, they waived their rights to inspection. Doesn't mean we're off the hook. So you got to right. think, think, okay, so what would be the best way? If this was my grandmother's house and grandmother was going into assisted living and she was selling her house and didn't know half of what the laws are nowadays, how would I do this? I would cover grandmother's, you know, definitely her best interest. So this is, a, this is a conversation <clears throat> that me and the, the team lead uh, uh, that I work with, who's become a good friend of mine. He's super intelligent. I hate documenting that on video, um, but we have long conversations about some of these things. And, and, and his intellect is, is the exact same when it comes to what should be and what should be not done right. But he's also he's done it so long that he knows how he can get out if he needs to. And it's such a sore spot between me and him because I'm like, he's such a great guy. I'm like, God, it kills me when you say that because you say it as if you know it's your ace in the hole. And I go, and I know it's an ace in the hole. I go, but it's not the one I want to use. I go, I don't want to have to do this. And I even gotten to where I tell the clients, like you guys were talking about if they waive it. One of the things I'll go forward and, and, and it doesn't mean anything, but I'll tell them, I go, y'all, that's fine. I go, but if something comes up and you guys try to back out of it, you need to really understand this is a terribly wrong way to do this. And I go, I'm not superstitious, but there's a terrible karma out there. And the, this, what comes around goes around. I, it's the only kind of weird superstitious thing I believe because there's, there's just something about in real estate that when you do stuff like that, it just gets back at you. Now this is completely off the subject, but I cannot help because my longtime friends below me and he knows the subject here. You want to talk about a terrible karma story. So <laughs> me and, and Dallas have known each other for uh, 25, 25 years, maybe longer than that. Maybe. Yeah. Something like that. So we have a, a friend in common who's an idiot and he's uh, <laughs> a big forehead, so we won't say his name, but everybody knows it knows who it is. Actually, we have two friends with big foreheads. Yeah, you so have to be a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> so this time we go, we're in Dallas uh, when we're younger, and uh, uh, we, we, we park out in one of the uh, you know higher profile areas there. So we go out, do our you know, typical stuff. We come back with both of our cars are broken into. And the, the, the cop shows up and uh, does the normal, hey, what was in there? Well, dipshit, I know there's nothing in his truck. He immediately, like without even hesitating, is like, well, hey, look, I, I, just, I, got, I had two tailor-made golf clubs thing. I just got those things. They were both about, you know, $2,800 a pop. And then he goes on and mentions a bunch of other stuff. That wasn't in there. And of course, honest old Abe, me, like, I, I didn't have anything. And in fact, it's more annoying than I have to fix the stupid broken window. So a month later or whatever, he gets uh, a check. And y'all, this story is not fabricated in the least. And if he's if he's on, he'll tell you this is exactly what happened. Uh, 
he gets a check and I want to say it was for like, it was something like $6,280. The, the, the amount matters. It was $6,280. And he comes over to my desk and he shows it to me. He goes home that night. He wrecks his truck. The damage was literally within $30 of <laughs> that claim. And to this day, anytime karma comes up, I'm like, you can say what you want. <laughs> that episode there is something that happens even in this stuff here. There's just something about when you do it, it's just like it's coming, it's going to get you one way or the other. And it's hard for me when it becomes inspections because it does bring out the worst of people. And there's such a fine line where we have to protect and do the right thing. You know, this also comes up for another educational purpose. This comes up when um, the subject of suicide uh, is there. You know, legally, a lot of people are shocked by the fact that we do not have to disclose uh, a natural death or a suicide. And there are a lot of people that they're bothered when they find out that that happened in a home. A lot of them are like, hey, I should have been told that. Hell, some of them even sue you for it, even though it's very hard to prove that you'd be at fault. But it's the same process. We know that some of those people probably should be told that that happened in there but we're not obligated to. And the ethical side, that's really tough. We know if we tell them that it probably could hurt the chances of the house selling, it might even lower the value of the house. But we also know if we don't say anything, they're gonna find out one way or the other. And these are fine lines that we have to walk when it comes to the integrity and the ethics of what do we ask for and what, what do we not. So that's always been a troublesome spot to me. All right, I wanna get back into, we had. We talked about buyer expectations. Well, if you set the buyer expectation before you do the inspection saying, look, this is all we're going to ask for. And you, you tell them the things that you think are relevant. A lot of times that will help you when the report comes back. It makes it easier for you to make the reasonable request because you already told them. If you don't tell the buyer what not to ask for, they very well could ask for the whole thing when they get it because they're not trained to understand that it's minor. That's why setting expectations is super important when you do anything, but especially this. If there's buyer expectations, there's seller expectations too. So if you're representing the seller, you need to tell them when this process is coming through, make it clear to them that report, it, it's they're going to have a lot of stuff on it. If the buyer's trained properly, they're going to ask for the things that are used for day to day. Now that's important to the seller because we got to get into the seller's mindset that if that inspection comes back and it says the air conditioning isn't working, y'all, it's Texas. The air conditioning has to work. That better be an expectation that you're going to have to fix it. If the master shower doesn't work, hopefully everybody takes a shower on a daily or at least like Mike on a bi-weekly basis. It has to work. Ooh, no, and no. We, we are, we're going to ask for it. If the stove is people cook the stove, the things that we use day to day have to work. So the seller needs to be told that if that comes up, you should be prepared to fix it. Now what happens is sometimes the seller doesn't interpret the contract properly and they see the 71 that they, well, they accept it as is I'm like, I know, but that was what, what they saw. They didn't know that your air conditioning didn't work. 
Are you shouting? Because they're anymore? not they're not experienced to see those things. They can yeah. they saw the air conditioner, they saw that, but they're not they didn't test it, they didn't do anything. They just looked at it visually. Yeah, I mean, they still have the right to ask for it. And you know, if you wanted to really get legally into it, you technically marketed the house that the air condition was okay. And the air condition cost anywhere from eight to fifteen thousand dollars, depending on what type of AC you get. And it may have been working perfectly the day that they wrote the contract. Absolutely, things happen. Didn't That's you right. guys recently have some hail in the vicinity of? So things happen. So let's talk about that one too, y'all. Those of you who are watching, like, well, you keep going from one to the other. I'm like, I know. I go because it's an ongoing conversation, but it's relevant to everything we're talking about today. Gary just brought up a big one that's really hitting home to the conversation we're having right now. And actually for Dallas, it just happened two nights ago. So we're in our, we're well, so bipolar. I was about to say we're in our spring season, yet we have sleep today. Actually, we have thunder sleep today. That's always fun. Fun place in the world to have thunder sleep. We had in the North Dallas area uh, two nights ago where it was like 80 degrees, uh, we had a hailstorm push through. Now, the reason why that's significant to this conversation, we go through an inspection period. We agree or we don't agree to certain repairs. Then the hailstorm comes after the inspection period. There are a lot of sellers out there that believe they're finished with negotiations once they've cleared the option period. And they're not aware that they're responsible for the house to the day of close. And unfortunately, if something happens to their house, i.e. a hailstorm to the roof or the ever so popular, the air condition does break the night before. God, it happens all the time. Those of you who are new agents who are naive and you think that, oh, that never happened. It happens all the time. I mean, all the time. That's seller's responsible. And I have to admit, there's some terrible shitty things that happen in real estate. There's no doubt one of the worst is for a seller's air conditioner to literally break the night before close and they have to go buy a new one. You talk about your greatest waste of money in your entire life that you'll never get anything out of. I, I actually, I'm usually pretty thick skinned and don't give a damn what happens to someone emotionally when it comes to housing. Uh, I, I need to put an asterisk on that with all my clients. I care about it, but it, I know that it can happen, right? So when I see it, my heart doesn't drop. I'm just like, well, on that one, that's the one that I'm still like, oh, it sucks. That's so awful to hear that. Hail's the same way. Even And even though in hail, they uh, they have insurance, that claim usually is pretty sticks them pretty good. It'll pop them for three or four grand on some of those houses. So this is another instance where even move out day careful what does even move out day damage yes. if it hadn't crossed funding it's a problem and 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 i think this causes a lot of stress and frustration amongst agents when we're doing those things that we tell them the right thing but they're just like no and this goes back to that seller expectation where we expect them to fix those things when they're asked, but even if it happens after, they still have the obligation 
uh, to do it. Those of you who are like, where in the contract does it say that? Where it says that we are selling this house as is the way it is today. Gary, you did a great example of, well, it might've worked that day, but it doesn't work today. Uh, one more example of like a thousand, and I very well might keep and I'm, the episode, I might do it again. We might go back into inspections because uh, we really still haven't talked about the negotiating side of it. Uh, so we'll, we might do that on the next episode. But the last one I'm going to do, and it's sticking to the same, even the same uh, uh, item, is the air condition. So this is one we see a lot. We get uh, someone who looks at a house. They put a contract on it. They go through inspection period. This particular item doesn't have any deficiencies on it in the inspection, yet on the repair amendment, they say the air condition's old, we'd like a new one, or we'd like credit for the fact that it could, or it's on its last legs, uh, and we want credit for that. The clairvoyant client. That's exactly right. <laughs> and it chaps a listing agent's ass when they do it. And there's a couple of reasons for it. A good buyer agent, especially any of us three on here, I assure you, we've done it long enough that when we go outside, in fact, it's usually the only reason I go outside because I don't like going outside if it's hot or cool, but I'll go out there and I'll look at that air conditioning unit just so I know in my head, is that thing on its last legs or not? So if I go out there and I see it's all rusted, and, it, and believe me, if you've done it for a while, you can tell how, if it's past 10 years or not. I look at it and go, the air condition's old. It's my responsibility to tell that buyer, hey, look, it, 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 the house is 15 years old. Looks to me like that's the original AC. Uh, it's only a matter of time. Sometimes their immediate response to me is, well, then we need to ask for a new one. I'm like, no. I go, the inspection came back that it's running exactly like... <laughs> It should. And we don't get in the policy or the habit of asking about what if or what if it does. Because if we do that, we might as well replace the whole house. If I start using the mentality that the air condition's old and it could possibly go out tomorrow or it might be five or six years from now, I don't know when that is. Do I do that with the brick mortar? Do I do it with the water heater? Do I do it with the bath? I mean, at some point, a line has to be drawn that I know it's old, but it's working okay right now. Or it is not working completely okay, but it's a simple fix. These are probably one of the toughest negotiations because the right thing to do is to make sure it's working. The ultimate goal should be, is it working? And if it's not, you need to make it work. But when you start throwing the factor in, it only has a few years. I'm like, you don't know that. Now, some of those air conditions go. I saw a client the other day. It was 26 years, the original AC. I was like, damn. I go, that thing is a, a mega AC to be able to go that long. But we don't know. And does it make it right that there's an old air condition and we know it might go out? Has it happened to me before where I knew it was old and it went out the week, the first week? Yeah. But, you know, that's what we call welcome to being a homeowner because those things happen. And yes, some people tend to be more unlucky than others, but 
It can be coincidence and there's nothing we can do to stop it. But to suggest that we're going to tell a seller that's leaving their home to make an $8,000 repair off something they're never going to get to use and it's been working just fine, can have a hard time passing that on to another agent. If you want to go deeper into theory and negotiation um, or advanced negotiation um, uh, strategy, it could actually hurt you if you start doing stuff like that because you might have issues that are going to precede this such as um, or follow it, such as the appraisals off and we need to negotiate it and your negotiation capability and skills might have been diminished by the way you handled asking for an air condition that wasn't broken or asking for a doorknob that wasn't broken or asking for the GFCIs and everything we've talked about for the last couple of shows. At some point, your credit might wear out and it might be credit that you actually need to fix something that's bigger and more important than the stuff you are arguing about. I'm going to end this episode on there is an ethical atmosphere out there. There is an etiquette out there. There's no law. There's no rule. There's nothing that says it has to be done this way. But there is an etiquette, a quiet etiquette that guides us as to what's right and wrong. And if you don't know the etiquette, it can be very painful for you, not only in that deal itself, but in future deals as well. One thing that's very bad and good about real estate is that your reputation precedes you. You're a bad real estate agent. You pull weird ethical type of crap. It gets told very quickly amongst others and it never goes away. Vice versa, if you're a good one and you do the right things, that also goes with you too. But these are things that can hurt not only the current deal and our negotiation power, but our ability to do deals in the future. All of this is connected. Everything we do one way or the other, which is why we spend countless hours trying to guide you on things that you never learned in a class, that were never in a book. This is what we see in the field day to day. Next time, or there are in a, a few weeks, if I don't want to continue on the same subject, uh, we'll look at going through what happens if we do negotiate these things. How should we ask for them? What should be the expectation? And maybe getting even more advanced negotiations with other contracts as well. Y'all, thank y'all for watching again. Another great show for passing it on to someone you know that you're working with right now that's new, uh, that you're new and you guys are kind of sharing information. It's a great show to pass on. Go, You really should watch this one. It's not the one that you're going to see all the time. And it's probably going to be more helpful for you than anything. I want to thank my two buddies over here. I can't do the shows without them. In fact, I think they do a much better job than I do if I'm doing it on my own. So I always appreciate their time. It takes us time to do this. We do it in the middle of the day, which can be very destructive to our days. Uh, so I appreciate them making the time and the expertise you get in is second to none because they're telling you things that you probably just don't hear from everybody else. Y'all have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you soon. Y'all take care.